It's time to talk football. It's time to talk Dons. North Zone 1, Red Review. Hello and welcome to another Red Review. I'm Alan Davidson, joined as always by Dave Galloway and this week by Lewis, Mickey and Dave. Another week, another disappointment for the Dons. Yeah, um, the 1-1 draw with Hibs on Saturday was... Such a strange game, a really, really strange game. I thought the first half was absolutely woeful. It looked like Aberdeen could be on the wrong end of a, a right pummeling by Hibbs, only for their um, finishing skills, fortunately, to desert them. And then Aberdeen suddenly started showing the character and determination and the guts that it was great to see that they should have... You know, really been showing from the first whistle, and in the end, uh, a a one-one draw. If you'd offered a one-one draw before the game, I would have been disappointed. But um, you know, given the way the match went, I'd I'd have bitten your hand off for a one-one draw. It was just a really strange game. Yeah, Lewis. We'll touch on the red card incidents um, a little later, but I think, like Dave says, great to see some character from the Dons that we've been calling out for for weeks. But disappointing that it took being a goal and a man down before it appeared. Yeah, it was certainly something in terms of that kind of character, that kind of belief where they went and got the equaliser because it didn't, after the Curtis main red card, it really didn't feel like it was going to be any other way than Hibbs potentially racking up the score. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those where they probably shouldn't have been in the situation in the first place. I don't think the red card happens if they don't concede a sloppy goal. So, you know, there's still a lot of things to get sorted out there, really, when you when you look at it. So it's there's positives to take from it, but probably still an overall negative. No, well, Dave, we've spent the last few weeks having a pop at the manager, having a pop at the players, probably deservedly so. It's been a while since we criticised some match officials, so let's have a go at that. Yes. First first of all, we'll start with two, possibly three red card incidents, should they shouldn't have been. Mm. Um, firstly, the one that was given as a red card, Curtis Main on Stevie Mallon. Your thoughts on that one, Dave? For me, Alan, that was a booking, not... Not a red card, um, certainly not a straight red card. He, he didn't go in with a straight leg. It wasn't anything like, you know, Ryan Christie, which was, you know, a mistimed tackle, not a malicious one, but just just a bit daft. But uh, that, that that was a red card, a straight red card, all day long, no debate. You can't say that for Maine's one. It wasn't a straight leg, and he got the ball as well. And it has to be said, uh, you know, Malin made a right meal of it as well. Yeah, Lewis, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, in terms of the cursed main one, I feel both. I kind of looked at them and went, you know, I don't personally think that those either of them were red cards, but having said that, they're not so much not red cards that I'm outraged about it necessarily, but... You know, it's just, as Dave said, it wasn't a straight leg from Curtis Main. Initially, when I saw it, I thought, oh, it's probably because he's caught him on the shin, but it wasn't. He, he got his foot, and he's also got the ball. So it's one of those where it is a foul, don't get me wrong. It's a minimum of booking, but I think to... You always talk about referees with game management, letting a game not get out of hand, and it does feel as though, you know, he kind of just made that decision where he really could have just given him a yellow, and I don't think anyone would be debating it, So, and it would have been a better, more competitive game for the rest of the, the rest of that half. So you do feel like he could have made that game a bit easier for himself and not rush to the red card. Yeah, well, that, that was what I was going to come to on that one. I think I had a slightly different, just when we were sitting in the stadium, I think I had a slightly different viewpoint from you guys. I was almost straight down the same line as the referee from the south stand side, was behind it. And it did look on, on first viewing as if Maine had jumped into the challenge, which he did. From where we were, I think the 
our feeling was it's probably yellow. Look where the ball's gone. He'd he'd clearly won the ball. If he'd gone over the ball, because the ball shot out of that challenge at some pace towards the main stand. Um, if he'd gone over the ball, he wouldn't. It, it wouldn't have popped out at that speed. He'd clearly got his foot firmly on the ball. Um, I think you're right. Malin had made the most of it. I think my biggest criticism of the referee in that whole incident would be the speed that he pulled the red card out. I think the um, Douglas Ross, who was the main stand type linesman on there, and the fourth official both have a far better view of that incident than the the referee, than Don Robertson. Both see that challenge far clearer. And the speed he pulled the red card out of his pocket, there was no chance he'd consulted with either of those two. Was he trying to impress the supervisor? Possibly, but it was, it was, it was, it was very. He very quickly pulled that card out of his pocket. I think helped by the reaction from Malin, which I think was shocking. Yeah. Um, As to Derek McInnes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, we'll touch on that one I in th- a moment. I, I think. I think. Manager, my, so. I think. I was looking along the same angle as the referee, um, and the 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 deciding factor for me was. I think the, the big criticism of him in that one is the the speed at which he pulled the red card out when there are two other officials there. That have a better view, and you clearly didn't consult with them. Yeah, consult with the main stand linesman. Did you see anything? What did you see? Yeah, and I think it's it's that that would be my view on that one. And then on to the other one that was given was Lewis Ferguson again on Malin in late in the game, Dave. Well, I think there's a stronger case to argue for a red card. I'm not necessarily saying it was a stick-on red card, but I think it was more of a red card from what what I've seen on, you know, in in real life at the game uh, from the main stand which maybe wasn't the best angle and I've seen the 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 reruns on on sports scene um it was more of a red card, Ferguson's, for me, than Maine's. It was, it was a wee bit rash, maybe a little bit of the red missed a bit of frustration, a, a little bit of uh, retribution, retribution. That's easy for me to say. It's too early to start drinking. Lewis? <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Dave said. I would come back to game management, where that whether Ferguson was on the pitch or not did not affect the next 20 seconds before the referee blew his full-time whistle. So again, I think he could have gotten away, especially having already given a red card, of just booking him. And it, I think that's fair. I mean, the one thing I would maybe contest is I don't even think it was maybe red miss from Ferguson. I think it's simply mistimed. So that's where that difference comes from. If he was trying to hurt the player, then I get it. But, um, you know, as we said earlier it's not like he catches him with studs it's actually his trailing leg that you were saying he catches him with which for me you know shows that that's not aggressive which is the big part in that if it's you know on a really aggressive tackle then sure you deserve to walk well no matter what time in the game it is missed time tackles I think you can let go when it's really not going to influence the game whether that player is on the pitch or not it's one of those I think mm. kind of like you Lewis I think um, we need to be careful not to because I hate this game management thing because sometimes this game management is seen as well we, we because then I think you're, the game management thing does come into effect in Scottish football and quite often you hear referees praised for managing the game well mm. during an old farm game because he hasn't sent someone off for a tackle that normally would have resulted in a red card in any other game that weekend um, which does my head in um, <laughs> that sometimes those games are refereed to a different standard than the rest I think it comes but, down to where if it is a borderline one like these two then that is where you can have a little element of game yeah. management. When it is an obvious red card, it doesn't matter when in the game. But it I, th- is, I think but... I think Fer- Ferguson jumps into the challenge, and again, I think this is just what we're going to get onto. I think the manager speaks about this. Um, is that uh, he didn't catch him? There wasn't a whole lot of contact, mm-hmm. it, and Malin went down as if he'd been shot. Um, That's unprofessional. And I'm, I'm not I'm not done with criticizing Stevie Malin. But first, let's uh, hear what the manager had to say. 
after the game on those incidents. He's at lunch just to try and make up the yardies, but when he actually lands, I think he wins the ball when it's one foot. The reaction from the Hibs player was disappointing, I felt. Um, clearly wasn't hurt, um, but stayed down. And uh, the referee, I think, has guessed with that one, to be honest, because I don't think he can see it. He certainly wasn't getting told from the fourth official that it was a red card. Um, and I don't, I'm not convinced it was a red card. Well, I was disappointed with the challenge um, from Malin on Ferguson. And you know, everybody needs to see that again. But I think uh, Fergie got real hurt in that one. And, and I think that is a, a nasty challenge on him. You know, yes, Fergie, um, he's made a genuine attempt for the ball. I don't think it's a lunge, but he's hit him at speed. Uh, I'd need to see that one again. But my thoughts on it at the time was Fergie's just mistimed it. Thankfully, we only had a minute or two to go with nine men. Well, I think the manager not impressed with Malin, and he did mention it there. The challenge that I th- personally I thought out of the three, the most worthy of a red card was Malin on Ferguson. He's gone in. Both the, the difference in those is the bo- both players have gone to ground, but Ferguson's got there first. Malin has gone in late over the top of the ball and caught Ferguson with studs. For me, if th- that if anything ticks more boxes for a red card than any of the other two. I I certainly think Alan that. You know, the referee's being consistent if Curtis Main's one is a straight red. Surely, to goodness, um, Malin's one was a straight red as well. I mean, personally, I think neither of them were straight reds, but surely, if the referee, Don Robertson, was being consistent, if the first one's a red, the second one's got to be a red as well. If if one goes, both yeah. have to. Yeah. I think that's a fair assumption to make the referees should be consistent but that's something I think we've been asking for in Scotland for a long Scottish time Scottish referees consistency <laughs> well, we, mm. we never seem to arrive at it so maybe it's wishful thinking but at least in the same game you'd expect it you know well, well here's the thing what two of those challenges are red cards and the other one's not even a free kick <laughs> but that that's the end result of it um, and here this is where it happened Ferguson stayed down but he didn't make a big thing about it and that 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 looked a sore one that, when I when I first saw him stay down, I thought that's a bad one. It it looked like he'd really been caught. Um, whereas very little contact in the other two challenges, and Malin makes the most of it. Yeah, well now now don't be surprised next time Aberdeen play Hibs if Lewis Ferguson is on the receiving end of any Stevie Malin, Stevie Malin tackle that he's going to be doing about fifteen forward rolls and uh, making the most of it because that is generally how footballers get their own back. The thing is, Stevie Malin, uh, there's a lot to like about him as a player. He's got great skill in the locker, but there's no need to be so unprofessional as he was throwing himself about like that. And just while we're on, I mean, I'm not. And I don't think I have been for the last few weeks while we've been on a poor run of form here to blame the officials. But I think they had a particularly poor game on Saturday. Um, yeah. There's yeah. a few I'd like to see again there in terms also- of uh, some of the misses from the Hib striker. I can always mispronounce his name, but we'll just call him Dodge because that's how his shooting was. Dodge. <laughs> Dodge. Yeah. I'll refer to him as Dodge because that, again, as I said, was how his shooting was, certainly. But there was quite Dodgy. a few where the fans in front of us in the main stand were absolutely raging at yeah. um, Douglas Ross on the line because it looked like a lot of them were offside. Now, whether or not that was just Aberdeen horrifically trying to play the offside trap like they did against Rops in the first game of the season, I don't know. I haven't seen them back, but it certainly uh, there was a couple of them where it just seemed a very clear offside or a very clear foul sometimes missed by the, the linesman on that side. So, yeah, it was overall, not just the referee, overall n- not great refereeing. Although the linesman on the other side, I can't remember any incidents with him. So No, but it did it did seem it did seem to be that there were a couple of very, very dubious offside calls mm. where, where you had 13,000 Dons fans, the entire 
playing staff and coaching staff of Aberdeen and then eventually Christian Dodgy putting his hand up looking for the flag yeah <laughs> I think it was one of, it, it's almost as if you, you saw the striker going I'm offside here and it was almost as if he went and kind of that kind of I'll stick it in the net and then turn around and the flag's going to be up in fairness I don't know if he knows the offside rule because I have to assume he must have thought Scott Allen would be offside if he had passed it to him when he should have squared it absolutely should have squared it yeah, and then yeah, were, for for two of the goals he he should have, or two of the misses, um, he, the, he should he should have squared it rather than taking it himself. Yeah. Definitely poor decision making. Um, I think he's got to get the head up. Yeah, I think he didn't I have his head a, up. He wasn't looking as about. A, as as a striker, surely as a top class striker, yeah. you'd fancy yourself to put that one away. Nine times out of ten, not zero out of two. But let's <laughs> hey, let's let let's have a, a a few words of praise for for Big Joe. Um, Absolutely yeah. sensational. You know, you can only do your best to save a situation, and you know he did it. You know, four times. Well, absolutely that fantastic. That was, that was the good thing from from Big Joe because actually the, the one criticism I would have had of the Aberdeen defence over those issues, whether he's offside or not, get your arms down, boys. Get your arms down and get uh, on with it. Then, yeah. de- de- deal with it. Then argue the situation later. That's the, um, that's the which strain. is what which is what big big Joe didn't stand yeah. there waving his arms about. He went and made the save, just and then on the turned ball. around and went that's, mental at the line. <laughs> that's a really strange sort of anomaly about Aberdeen. That you know the defending was dreadful at times, but the goalkeeping was absolutely first class. You yeah. know, you know the the two cent, the two first choice central defenders. You know, some of their decision making it, it it was poor. It was really poor. It has to be said. Yeah, and the one I'd, I've. I took my notes during the game on Saturday and then left them in the house this morning. <laughs> but um, the the one I thought was it was the, the kind of misplaced back header from Shea Logan. Yeah, uh, brilliantly from done, brilliantly done from Andy Constein to get a foot in and put the striker off and Which then big him down. Then big Joe off his line and Joe's well on that one actually hurt his arm. He he's so brave in these situations. He hurt his arm getting in because it wasn't even like his body he got to. He had an outstretched arm just got a fingertip on it but yeah you mentioned the fullback there I'm not always sure that it's necessarily the, this season at least that it's necessarily the relationship between the two centre halves that's actually what's costing Aberdeen so often those balls through seem to come between a centre half and a fullback so I think that's maybe where the quite communication isn't quite coming yeah no um, just quickly before we finish up completely um, I want to touch on I thought there were two reasonable penalty shouts for Aberdeen in that second half one, pushing the back on Niall McGinn, where we can debate all day whether there was enough for Niall to go down. Um, there were certainly two hands on the back, um, and there was one on Ryan Hedges where he looked to be pulled to the ground. Dave, your thoughts on those two I, first? I think the the Hedges one was more of, more of a penalty. Um, the McGinn one, yeah, technically going by the strict letter strict letter of the law yeah it was a penalty but clearly he was anticipating contact and when it came I did think uh, Niall went down uh, rather too easily so technically a penalty but it would have been very soft for me yeah similar very similar Um, that's the issue always with these ones where people are getting pushed again we talk about consistency but I don't think that should ever be a penalty. But when you see other people getting it, then yeah, you've it's seen them given. Hard. Yeah, you, you, so you've, you've seen them given, and I, I think we had a conversation before we came on here, Dave, that I would think anywhere else on the pitch that's given. Yeah, absolutely. If, if that's four, yeah, or, fi- foul, if that's yeah. four or five yards closer to that main stand side. Outside the box, Aberdeen have a, pee, a free kick nine times out of ten. Especially if it's also, and I, I, this is my pet peeve, defenders diving. And like this is the thing, it's never in their box. Defenders who kind of chase it down into a corner flag and then just fall. And the amount of times it gets given, because it's just, it's 
just commonplace now. But yeah, that that really annoys me. But yeah, for me, if I was a Hibs fan, I'd be very, very disgruntled if that was given against my team. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say that one's a penalty. And then the, then the Hedges one, there was a handful of shots. And I certainly from, I, again, I had a, it's interesting from that position up in the gantry in the south stand. Hmm. Um, during the first half, it's really great to watch the game from up there. Second half, not quite so easy because you're kind of peering around from that where we are. You're peering around that corner and you don't have the best angle looking down from above that kind of RDS end. Um, the Hedges one for me looked a penalty. Um, and I know from people who were a lot closer to it than I was, their feeling was that that one was a lot more of a penalty. So in conclusion, um, referees in Scotland are rubbish. Well, and I think this is why, <laughs> I think we, uh, you mentioned it as well, Lewis, we spotted it at full time. I can't recall the last time I saw Derek go out onto the pitch at full time to confront a referee. Mm. I actually missed that because I was uh, doing my social media updates and about to do a, a live uh, radio link, but you, got, you guys quite clearly saw what was happening I was watching with a lot of anticipation Dave I saw him steaming across to that <laughs> centre circle and I was rubbing my hands going here we go I don't need to go watch the McAllister box tonight I'm going to get here at Pataudry <laughs> <laughs> no it was it was uh, it, it, he, he strode across that pitch with real purpose shall we say yeah, and after he was done with the referee he went and told Stevie Mallow what, what he thought, he thought well, him. So. Um, and I did, I did enjoy Douglas Ross's Usain Bolt impression up the tunnel. <laughs> in, I didn't. In, I, I didn't know he could run that fast. In, in fairness, well, he never did catch up with play when there was offsides. But <laughs> in, wow, in, he's in saving his energy. Him, in fairness to him, I, like I noticed this as well. But then it was pointed out, and in, in theory, I've actually never noticed this happen before. But it must happen. Is apparently one of the linesmen has to stand at the tunnel, so that's what he was doing. And it does make sense because really? you do think, well, you have all these players. Uh, going into the tunnel, what happens if there's a punch up? I've, I'd see, hmm. I've seen, I've seen, ah, I've seen it. I recall seeing it. Patrick, all three officials walking off the park together. That's what I thought as well. But I, I'm going to have to go watch hours and re-watched. hours of footage now. I'm going to go watch but hours was, and hours of footage and study and, and, how I did, often I did this notice happens. That there was a, there was a gif going about on Twitter of Derek trying to have a word with Douglas Ross as he went. <laughs> yeah. And you see Derek, Derek standing there, arms out, and uh, kind of the road runner. <laughs> I'm just I'm just waiting for somebody to edit it with Douglas Ross and meep, meep, meep. meep. <laughs> he goes past the yeah. One of my favourite cartoons. Derek McInnes in the technical area. Childhood favourite, that. Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. But no, I think he, I can oh. I can see very much why Derek was fuming. Yeah. Because I think we've we've spoken about five big calls there. Let's let's ignore the offsides because I think I've, I've not seen them back to prove you the way they... At, at the time, the feeling was, and you, I always tend to think with these things, kind of... Not with a fan's head on, with a, a rational. Let's go by the reaction of the players. I think that's always a good one. And the fact that the entire Aberdeen back four were fuming with both of those decisions, you've got to think that kind of he got that one wrong. Um, but yeah. let's 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 ignore that. Let's speak about the the three potential red cards and the two penalty shouts. Those are five big decisions that all could have gone either way. I don't think if if with the three red card incidents. Either sending all three off, sending three yellows. I don't think anyone can have any argument either way with those. You've got to go with the referee's decision on those ones. Um, I think the only one I think he got shockingly wrong was Malin on Ferguson because that was at least a booking um, and there wasn't even a foul given. Yeah, ridiculous. And then the two penalty shouts again, I think both possibly may have been soft one more than the other, but there couldn't have been a massive outcry from the Hibs. Fans and and sport, if they'd been given, much like much like the two red cards, there couldn't have been a massive. And I think Derek's seen all five of those decisions go against his side. 
um, and I can understand why he was fuming. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, just so back to what you were mentioning earlier, I think you're right. I thought, and I've actually I'd been calling on this show in the last couple of weeks for Shea Logan to be back in the team, um, and I thought just about one of Shea's worst performances in an Aberdeen shirt on Saturday. Yeah. I thought he was really poor. I mean, I felt, even not just, I don't like targeting too much of individual players. I thought that Zach Viner was really good uh, when he played it right back up until when Shea Logan came back from injury. And as much as he has been a stalwart in the team for years and years now, I still don't think that gives you the divine right to get right back into the team if whoever replaced you when you got injured has been playing well while you were away. And Zach Viner was playing well. And I think also... If you're having Shea Logan on one side, Greg Lee on the other side, you have two fullbacks who really do get forward. But Greg Lee's more effective in getting forward. So either Shea Logan needs to stay back because genuinely you want it lopsided. You want one fullback that stays further back than the other. Zach Viner does that. So either Shea Logan needs to accept that he might have to stay back a little bit further when Greg Lee's on that side because he didn't have to do that when it was Andy Constein, for example. Or then Zach Viner needs to play because otherwise it leaves gaps. You can get away with it sometimes when, for example, Funso Ojo was fit because he dropped down in between the centre-backs. When you've, got, when you've got that solid holding midfield player, which I don't yeah. think we have at the moment. No, exactly. But Ferguson, Campbell, they will get further forward. So there was just a few a few details there. I would like to say that I don't think, you know, it, some people are saying, oh, Shea Logan, he's, you know, done at Aberdeen level. I don't think so because people have said no, that about Niall McGinn for 15 times and then you have a performance like Niall McGinn had off the bench on Saturday. Yeah, I, Sometimes I think, you just need to give a player a couple of games on the bench, yeah. let them get their confidence back, use them in opportune times. Yeah, that, Tim, sorry, definitely. Sorry, that, 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 was, that was the Niall McGinn that we all love to see. I thought he was excellent if he played like that more consistently. Um, yeah, you know, I think we'd all be very happy. I think we possibly need to accept though, that Niall McGinn is not the player we had five years ago because we had him five years ago. He now is possibly more, and it's it's. I think it maybe comes down to Niall having to accept that he's not going to play ninety minutes every week. Um, you get the impression that Niall isn't always impressed with not starting every every game. Potentially, but I've seen him in press conferences being quite open and say that he's fine with it and obviously there's one thing saying it the other thing what yeah. you actually feel but sometimes it feels maybe it's actually he's not necessarily that he's bothered but that Derek McInnes I think has a lot of trust in Naomi again so he wants to have him out yeah, there Yeah I, I just think that again now I think we need to realise with all the injury problems he's had as well is getting a little older, older he needs to be used sparingly I would say is where we are with Naomi again Yeah I agree um, and I mean the thing with Logan is first game back in the side but I mean he didn't look a yard off the pace it was four or five yeah, and I mean, this is something that will sort itself out when, for example, after the international break, they're hoping Craig Bryson will be back. Derek McInnes seems to like having a couple of players that at least have a good amount of experience in that team. So he's probably thinking, well, I've got Dean Campbell and Lewis Ferguson in the middle. I need to add experience elsewhere. So then if you have Bryson back, then maybe he can then go, well, I can afford to have Viner outside on the on the right side. You know, details like that. So I think that kind of helps itself when some of the players come back to fitness. Um you would certainly hope so. Anyway, yeah. No. Um. Let's say it was just it was it was interesting to see that actually what I think a lot of people have been calling for to have Logan back in that side and a bit of pace and a bit of energy almost cost us on on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the 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 miss header um, that was mo- most unlike Shay. Um, but you know he'll he'll learn from it and he'll take stock and I'm sure he'll. Hopefully, anyway, um, come back um, more like the the Shea Logan that we all know and love after the international break. No, absolutely. And I think another word for for Andy Constantine yet again. (laughs) Andy's been finished in the eyes of some supporters for about five years. And I thought, again, it had had a really good game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andy Constantine is just one of the more consistent players that Aberdeen have. Um, okay, you're not going to get a centre-back that's going to go out there and be a ball-playing centre-back, but you're well aware of what you're getting with Andy Constantine, which is important. There's sometimes other players, other teams that can be accused of, like we were maybe talking about earlier with Naomi Ginn, sometimes you don't quite know what you're going to get, which kind of happens with attacking players because sometimes it just doesn't come together. But Andy Constantine, you know what you're going to get. I would say at the moment, as much as I, I like Michael Devlin, Constantine and McKenna is, is the better centre-half pairing. Despite the fact they're both left-footed, it shouldn't work, but there's just something that Mikey Devlin, since he came back from that last injury, hasn't quite got settled. And, and you know what? You'll never know whether he'll get settled unless you play him. So it's a difficult one. But at the moment, McKenna and Constantine, for me, are probably the two better centre-halves there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Constantine, he is, he is Mr. Consistency, isn't he? That's it. You know, just, a great servant to the club. That's it. I think he seems to just turn in the performances week in, week out, without doing a whole lot kind of spectacular and you can't underestimate what he can do in the opposition's box as well just, you don't have as much of that from Scott McKenna and Michael Devlin no I, th- I think with Andy Costa I think the thing is and I think we saw it at Dundee um, is Andy in the opposition box I think doesn't quite know what he's doing a lot of the time but if he doesn't know <laughs> th- those defending against him <laughs> if, if, if Andy's a very ge- diplomatic if, way of putting it if, if Andy's guessing what he's up to Whoever's marking him has got a real job on their hands. Yeah, if he doesn't know what he's doing. I have a feeling it maybe looks that way, but I think there's some method to his madness <laughs> Method in the madness. Um, because yes. I remember, well, after, it wasn't the Dundee one, it was whatever last goal he scored, I can't remember, he scored one after that. He talked about, it would have been Livingston actually, he talked about how it was the exact same corner routine they used way back when he scored his hat-trick at Dundee. Um, so, obviously there's a big book of these tactics set pieces that Aberdeen have and Andy Constantine's picking out which ones are going to benefit him the most because he's got to be the player from that team that has scored the most from set pieces with Sam Cosgrove probably just behind us we saw on Saturday yeah uh, well just touched on Sam Cosgrove there another game another Sam Cosgrove goal and it is it's a it, it's it's great that we've got a striker that is finding the net on a regular basis yeah but worrying that if Cosgrove doesn't score we don't seem to score and if Cosgrove doesn't score we certainly don't seem to win haven't won a game all season in which Sam Cosgrove hasn't scored Dave yeah, I mean, he's got very broad shoulders, but, you know, um, we can't put all our eggs in one basket here. Other players have to chip in with goals. Um, in the past, we've, we've we've had the goals spread out throughout the team. But like you say, if Big Sam is misfiring, if he's not playing for whatever reason, or if he doesn't get the service, you know, he's not going to get the goals. But um, the goal he got on Saturday was a great example of get the right, quality of ball into the box that, that's been a, a problem for Aberdeen at times this season get the right quality of ball into the box and he'll get on the end of them absolutely and I did think um, just to look for we're on about attitude of players um, and we spoke about this a lot last week as well after the after the defeat at Ibrox Sam Cosgrove's first reaction when that ball hit the net was right get it back on the centre circle we're going for a winner yeah there, I mean, there was no it, it, it would have been very easy to see him spill into the RDS and Go look how brilliant I am. Ah, there was no big smiley celebration. It, it was just a, it was the right, clench fist. Let's, let's, get going, let's, let's do go. this. And I, I thought that was that was the real fight yeah. that we lacked at Ibrox that seemed to be on show there. And I think um, Tony Dockett he mentioned in some of his post match media comments. Yeah, that that's the man. That's the attitude. The manager manager's been hammering into them all week. Well, that's what that's what we need week in week out. You know, you're going to lose games. Of course you are. But you know, if if Aberdeen had still been beaten five 0 at Ibrox. Having shown the attitude that they showed in the the latter part of the of the Hibs game, it, it, it would have been terrible a five 0 defeat, but it, it wouldn't have been so bad. 
No, it, it's it's showing that you care, isn't it? Yep. And I think that's what that's what fans. I'm sure, and I'm sure five 0 down at Ibrox, the players did care, but there was a lot of it didn't really look like that. Yeah. And but then I I didn't think there was a whole lot of that before we lost Curtis Main at the weekend. I thought there was. It's kind of almost like Aberdeen need to be feel like they've been picked on. Yeah, they need to start games on the front foot. They need to start games willing to grab things by the scruff of the net because if, if they'd started the game like that on Saturday, they may well have won it. And, and in fact, they nearly did because I think if the game had gone on a few more minutes, I think Hibs were seriously wobbling at the end. Yeah. They could not wait you. for that final whistle. I think you're right, Dave. Um, well, I think we've spoken a lot about this one this week, so let's get on to the predictor, Dave, and some of the other games. <laughs> Let's start in Edinburgh at Tyne Castle. Another defeat for Craig Levine and Hearts. This time yeah. at the hands of Kilmarnock. Yeah, 1-0 to Kilmarnock. Um, Lewis and I both got it wrong. Lewis went 1-1. I went for 1-0 for Hearts, but it was the exact opposite of that. 1-0 to Kilmarnock. Uh, I don't know if there was a, another demonstration against Craig Levine. It wouldn't have surprised me if there was, but his coat is now... Officially back on a very sugarly peg again. Yeah, well, I'd, I'm, again, I'm not sure about the demonstration, but I did see notes on Twitter of Anne Budge was on the pitch at half time and was booed by not a small section of the Tynecastle crowd. Aye, she only sort of saved the club, you know. Have they forgotten that? But I think I think she was she was certainly booed by I think more than a small section of the home support list. Yeah, uh, and I suppose you see it coming at this point. I just don't see how it gets better for Hearts until something eventually changes and I think it'll take a long time to do that and it's going to just be very chaotic but you've got to give credit to Kilmarnock by the way because you look back at the start of this season and people were writing off Angelo Alessio literally I got two games in mm. to his career in Scotland and then suddenly oh Kirk Broadfoot doesn't like the training and apparently he's an awful manager which is really odd for someone who was Conte's assistant for winning Premier Leagues and Serie A's. so to see them doing well is good it's not so good for Aberdeen because that's certainly going to be a team that are going to be challenging for Aberdeen for positions this year because Kilmarnock are right back to doing what they do they go to places like Tynecastle and Audrey and they will give you a really really difficult game and they will get results more times often than not and on top of that not only do they have that resiliency of what Steve Clark had but he's also added a few different elements to that they just probably need a few more goals you know I have a feeling that if they were maybe against a team with Hearts' defence isn't looking great at the moment because they have a lot of injuries then maybe that would have been a nil-nil but even then that would have been frustrating for Hearts and still a decent result for Kilmarnock so yeah credit to Kilmarnock as well and another Motherwell win 2-0 at home to St Mirren yes. Motherwell now four points clear of us in third place Steve uh, Robinson's uh, steel men doing very well uh, Lewis went 2-0 Motherwell I went uh, 3-1 Motherwell and Lewis hit the nail on the head well done Lewis 2-0 uh, to Motherwell and uh, an- another great result and uh, I think coming out of the international break, it, it couldn't get much harder for Aberdeen away to on-form Motherwell. That's a tough one. And then just to follow up after that, uh, Celtic will be uh, smarting from uh, a certain result, which we'll come to in just a moment. Yes. No, well, well, at least you know that um, for that game at Pataudrive against Celtic, Shea Logan's going to return to top form. <laughs> because yes, absolutely. What he'll he does. be waving at the Celtic fans in the in the south stand and Scott blowing Brown. kisses to them and everything. And Scott Brown will be getting balls loft off the back of his head. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so it's just a, a quick word on St Mirren. I think we th- 
we thought they were going to do reasonably well and be safe this season, just about. Still in there at the bottom, not quite down there yet, thanks to St Johnston, mm. but no wins in the last five. It's They haven't been conceding many goals, but they're not scoring any. Well, that's the thing is, also on top of that, I heard that that could have been five or six if it wasn't for their goalkeeper, who is genuinely a really, really good... There's a lot of good goalkeepers in Scotland, and unfortunately none of them are either Scottish or eligible to play for Scotland because they're retired, which is a bit fr- a bit frustrating with uh, the way the national team is at the moment. But yes, yeah, so there, it's almost issues at both ends of the pitch for them. Um, but they do have a decent coach in, in Jim Goodwin, who, look, on another day, he might have got a result out of that. So that's why I still think they'll be safe. But yeah, they'll be looking to add in January, absolutely no doubt. Yep. And just before we finish up on St Mirren, Dave, former Aberdeen player Greg Tanzi latterly of St Mirren has now retired due to that injury that kind of began at his time during his time at Pataudry which kind of wrecked his Aberdeen career yeah. and has now ultimately ended his career yeah a, a very nice guy and a, a, a very good player very talented player um, unfortunately like you say he didn't get the chance to, to show it at the Dons but uh, hopefully he won't be you know lost to the game if, if he can maybe uh, take up a, a coaching role or whatever. Hopefully, he can have a, a a useful role to play in in the the wonderful sport of football. Yes, well, up to Dingwall, Ross County two, St Johnston two, and Stevie May did a goal. Dave Galloway. <laughs> Yeah, he also missed a penalty, but he did a goal. So we've not been able to say that for a while. Indeed. So Stevie May, and then Stevie May not. Um, <laughs> that was how it panned out. But um, a bit of fight about St Johnson quite clearly. I mean, Ross County. I don't think for a moment they're going to be in any relegation trouble. I've mentioned that on this podcast before. They're a good, well-organised side. They've got two good young uh, co-managers that have got them well drilled. They play a nice brand of football. Um, I went for uh, 2-0 to Ross County. Uh, Lewis went for uh, 0-0 and it was a a 2-2 and by all accounts a a pretty good game. No, And I think it's probably in the scheme of things a good point for St Johnston going up to Dingwall not in great form. I think they'll be happy with that. There'll be teams come away from Dingwall with less. Um, But being 2-1 up Tommy Wright probably disappointed that they didn't hold on to that lead um, and it's certainly not alleviated any of the pressure that I think we feel right maybe under. Yeah, I think when you look at it, okay, it looks like a good result, but you need to then take something from it. So they'll give them a bit of momentum. Probably comes at the wrong time because of the international break, but you felt they were going to take some momentum from getting a drop at Audrey a few weeks ago, and then after that it kind of dropped off again. So that's the important test. The second game, can they keep it up? Can they continue to score some goals? But yeah, I still think there's some frustrations there. I'm still not sure that they're quite anywhere near where they're going to want to be actually and um, not quite where they need to be especially I think they want to be a little bit further than where they need to be but they're not even where they need to be so it's um, going to be a test for them coming after the international break can they kind of pick up from that and maybe get a win another draw Uh, and for County they'll probably be a bit frustrated as well they probably would have wanted to win at home against bottom of the table but at least they've got more points on the board than they might have necessarily had at this point of the season in some people's predictions well, we've wrapped up Saturday's games um, and with it we've covered all the clubs that in the last few weeks, Dave, we've been speaking about as to potential managerial change. Mm. Draws for Derek McInnes at Aberdeen, Paul Hickingbottom at Hibbs, and Tommy Wright at St Johnston. Another defeat for Craig Levine at Hearts. 
Are we fancying any of those to be out the door anytime soon? Are they all going to hold on to their jobs for a little longer? <laughs> I, I think. I mean, it's it's a very movable feast, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a race where the you know the the lead changes hands quite a lot. I mean, not so long ago, Derek McInnes was the the bookies' favourite uh, to be the next Premiership manager to be sacked, which. Quite frankly, I think you know, although he's not not without fault, um, that would have been absolutely ridiculous. Because overall, as I've said many times, he's done a fantastic job uh, for Aberdeen FC. Um, you know, Heckingbottom, he was the front runner not so long ago. Um, Alessio even was the the front runner not not so long ago as well. But I, I think. Levine has uh, nosed his way to the front of the queue once again and I think he must be the favourite Right, I'm going to put you on the spot here Lewis Those four in order So Most to least likely to go So most, I'm going Paul Heckenbottom Uh, I can see the Craig Levine argument but for me he has all three of those managers have built up a lot more goodwill than Paul Heckenbottom They've been there a lot longer And there's something at hearts where Craig Levine has a lot more behind him than Paul Heckenbottom Now Heckenbottom has given himself a reprieve at least until that semi-final of the League Cup Because I don't see them getting rid of him before that Because he's earned his chance to go and play in that one But I think they'll get beaten it And if they get some bad results before that semi-final Then that could be the nail in the coffin So I'm going Heckenbottom first um, Then I'm going, I suppose, Tommy Wright Again, I think he has built up a lot of goodwill at St Johnston. He's relatively... He's not completely bulletproof, but he's kind of close to it. Then Craig Levine, then Derek McInnes. I think we all know, unless things went catastrophically wrong at Aberdeen, Derek McInnes is going to see in this new stadium, or at least in the new training ground. Um, I, I don't see... The, the decision for Derek McInnes to leave Aberdeen would have to be at least a decent part Derek McInnes's. I don't see yeah, Sherman turning around I, and sacking Derek McInnes. I, I, I can't see, to be honest, any, any time, unless... We get relegated or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> yeah. I can't see Milne pulling the trigger. No, it, it's going to have to be Derek says he's had enough. Yeah, he'll say, um, "Look, I've hit a glass ceiling. I need to have a fresh challenge." But the, 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 this, what the kind of the way you went through that there, Lewis, brings us on to an interesting point. I think there's a very different kind of order between those four, as in who should be in fear of their job and who is. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if if you want me to do the should, then <laughs> Craig Levine top. Then probably talk uh, Paul Heckenbottom. I still don't. I personally do not look at Paul Heckenbottom and see someone who is much better than some of the other coaches have had. But or maybe say Tommy Wright, then Paul Heckenbottom, and then still Derek McInnes. And that's not to say that Derek McInnes is without fault. It's just that he's got three other managers in front of him who have yeah. had a lot of uh, a lot more issues. I mean, I said this to you earlier. To be fair, with Aberdeen, eight games in, same amount of games played this time last season to this. Same amount of points and Aberdeen are now actually better off positionally because the league has become a lot more open with Rangers and Celtic pulling away. So have Aberdeen really really regressed as much as people think? Now, they have regressed in terms of three years ago, but they certainly haven't from a year ago, whereas St. Johnson certainly have regressed. Uh, Hearts, definitely. They were top of the league this time last year. Mm -hmm. And even Hibs, even Hibs have. So actually, Aberdeen are the ones that have least regressed and have probably the most stock in their manager. So I I would agree with you, Lewis, uh, in... uh, Derek McInnes in, in fourth place. I would have Levine um, in in first place because as, I, as, I, as likely to go or should go, Dave. Um, I think they're possible. Yes, I think we're, there may be two I, I think quite. Po- I think quite possibly. Quite possibly both. Both. Uh, because um, it was interesting when I found out that even Anne Budge was getting booed by a substantial number of 
uh, heart supporters. Now, the argument against Levine getting the bullet was that, oh, he's bomb-proof, he's best pals with Anne Budge. You'll find that if um, Anne Budge is really getting it in the neck from the fans, as we've seen many times over the years when the club owners, when the chairman, when the, the boards of directors get it in the neck from the fans their reaction or the outcome is often that the manager gets the bullet and I think that might well happen here. Um, Hecking bottom, he's bought himself a bit of time with, with recent results, but I'm still not convinced. You know, another couple of defeats and his coat will be on a very sugarly peg again. I think it's too early to say that Tommy Wright's under serious pressure simply because he's done a wonderful job overall. He was the, the first manager in history to win them a, a major trophy. I know it was... Uh, five years ago but I think he's still got a lot of uh, goodwill from from that and also you take into account the budget that St Johnson have which is one of the, the the smallest in the league and he's you know he's had the team punching above its weight um, you know year in year out so he's still got a fair bit of goodwill well, and it just shows you kind of how mad Scottish football really is <laughs> that in a 12 team top flight we're speaking about four managers under pressure You've got two clubs in there in St Mirren and Hamilton who probably expect to be down the bottom. Their managers, unless they're... The only time their managers will tend to come under serious pressure is if they look to be cut adrift at the bottom. And then you've got Celtic who I think there were fans unhappy with Neil Lennon when he got the job. Um, and this, bring, this brings us on to Sunday's games and a 2-0 wow, yeah. defeat at Livingston for the champions probably has sections of Celtic fans looking at is Neil Lennon really the answer here Yeah. given that there were major questions over him among large sections of that support when he was given the job yep. but, but they were playing you know they have played some great football as well I mean they, you know um, some, some of the stuff they played against Cluj in midweek was you know excellent you know fast pacey one touch really slick football and the key to Livingston beating Celtic was that they never allowed Celtic to get into their stride. They they sucked them into a war. That was the game plan. They sucked Celtic into playing a physical game, which was a bit alien to them. They sucked them into playing like a long ball game, which they just you know couldn't do. And and to quote uh, an expression from Dad's Army, um, Corporal Jones, they don't like it up them. And you know Celtic, they couldn't handle the heat when they were getting. You know, roughed up. You know, the big guy uh, Julian at the back. Um, he certainly didn't like the rough and tumble of the the the, the Livingston forwards, and um, he certainly didn't look like a seven million pound player. That's for sure. And the the goals, um, well worked, but but very simple goals by uh, Livingston. They thoroughly deserved to win. They were excellent, very well organised. No, well, I think this this may be a turning point in this league campaign. Just it brings me back to. A time under Ronnie Dyla when I, I can't remember who did it to start with, but somebody went and put the high press on Celtic, and they fell apart. And then teams suddenly had sussed out how to play Dyla's Celtic, that ultimately led to the to the end of Ronnie Dyla. Um, I'm not. I don't think we're quite at that point yet. But as this team's maybe just seen Livingston go and show a way of dealing with this Celtic side, then they didn't have an answer. Yeah, a lot of Celtic fans I've seen, given their opinions, seem to believe that. The problem is, is that Neil Lennon has a very good plan A, but then when there's no, then there's a team like Livingston who come out and find a solution to your plan A, then Neil Lennon's plan B is what Dave was suggesting there, where they get 
kind of taken into long ball and, and everything like that, which they're just not suited to play. And then you kind of hark back to what Brendan Rodgers did best. Brendan Rodgers had a plan for absolutely everything. He, he, before even his plan A was sussed out, he's already switched to plan B and because he sees that teams are starting to figure it out. And there's maybe just that, is the quality of manager as much as I so I think Neil Lennon's a very good manager but he's also not going to be managing Leicester to potentially a top six challenge in the Premier League anytime soon Brendan Rodgers is so I think that is maybe where that kind of difference in ability comes in there's also a lot of momentum to it as well though you know when you go winning for so so long like Celtic have sometimes it's just hard to kind of galvanise yourself and pick up and yeah but again credit for me a lot to Livingston we're talking about these managers who could potentially go I think some of the problems sometimes is people want a manager to go but they have no clue who they want to actually come in and replace them there's two managers doing very very well in Scotland right now one is Stephen Robinson as Dave mentioned earlier at Motherwell the other one is Gary Holt at Livingston and again I don't think either of them would really be an answer to the teams that are looking to get rid of managers and I don't think St Johnston for example could probably suggest either of them to come but you have to give a lot of credit to Gary Holt because he came in at the start of last season and had a very good run and people kind of thought that was just the bounce from having taken over a new team. But we're still here a year later talking about him doing very well with a Livingston team who have a very small budget in comparison to other people. You have a striker in Lyndon Dykes who was playing for Queen of the South last season who he's turned into, you know, if he can add some goals to his game, he's one of the top strikers in the league. Well, that, that, that's Lyndon Dykes who was at Queen of the South last year and like this says, bullied seven, seven million pound Christian Lane. <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, he looked so rattled, Julian, didn't he? He didn't. He didn't know what to do. Oh, I mean, Lamy had him in his. Lamy, uh, Dykes had him in his pocket all day. Another one. The reason Lamy is coming on him, he had a very good game as well. Mm-hmm. And well, again, well, yeah. that's, su- sucked Celtic into this physical mm-hmm. long ball game, and they had no answers. And that's the thing with Lamy. You looked at Livingston last season; they had a very good defence. They've just went and kept the clean sheet against the champions, and they lost their two best defenders in Craig Halkett, in Declan Gallagher, and they lost the goalkeeper in Liam Kelly all in one summer. And somehow he's taken it back again, and has got a really good defensive Livingston team. Because not only did they keep a clean sheet against the champions, they had a very good defensive performance against Aberdeen and were maybe unlucky not to take more from it they only conceded one to Rangers I believe if I remember correctly in the League Cup this is a Livingston team that are really really good at just frustrating people and okay maybe it's not the prettiest style of football ever but it's a it's a kind of points business in football Scott Robinson I have to mention him as well he was he was absolutely excellent took his took his goal superbly lovely through ball but he just he just took it first time what you know what a revelation he's been you know he didn't have a great time of it at hearts but you know he's he's doing superbly and just before we've spoken about this game for quite a while but let's just as you touched on there brilliant defensive performances and a good goalkeeping performance to the other end of the park and six foot seven Fraser Forster being lobbed you know that you know that that was a that was a classic uh you know route one goal wasn't it but it was and I think the goalkeeper's at fault there the goal I think what you watch it and you have no answers how for because mm. Forster kind of comes and then stops, but then does he comes and stops, but doesn't go back onto his line, so he just leaves that space. Simply as a goalkeeper, you've got to let your defender deal with that and stay on your line, so you can't be lobbed. Or if you're let doing the, one thing, you have to commit let to the, it. Let let the striker take it down and try and beat you, mm. or you put the doubt in Lyndon Dyke's mind yeah. that okay, you're you're trying to play this first time. But even if you get this first, you're getting clattered. Yeah. Make sure, make and I mean, Forster running towards you. He's a big guy. If, Lyndon if, Dykes is a big guy. If they if, if they had collided, there would have been an earthquake. <laughs> so. <laughs> hmm. But it, surely, as the stri- the striker knowing that that like 
it's you're taught it from a kid as a goalkeeper. It's go and put the doubt in the striker's mind. Even if you're not going to get to that ball, very rarely if you go if I, as a goalkeeper, if you go out and clatter a striker, are you getting in, are you like in that sort of situation? If there's a fifty-fifty ball there, very rarely are you going to give away the penalty, especially if you're a Celtic goalkeeper. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. I just had that uh, image in my mind of Craig Gordon absolutely wiping out a Ross County player a few years ago and just getting nothing. So oh, that that was that, that wasn't even. I, I say that like there was one occasion. Craig no, Gordon no, no. had previous for wiping out Ross <laughs> County players. <laughs> Craig Gordon was just going around kicking people at one point. <laughs> it, it was almost like they were having a bet in the dressing room somewhere, saying it was actually a bet between him and Alan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> and it would definitely would have come up with on Scotland duty, wouldn't it? Not like Alan McGregor's ever done anything on Scotland duty he shouldn't. No, no, him and uh, Scott Brown. But anyway, right. Let's change. Let's change this quickly. Gonna yes, get in trouble quickly. Finally, on to Ibrox and another five nil win for Stephen Gerrard's Rangers, top of the league for the first time since twenty twelve. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um. There is something that I could say, but I won't. Imagine losing 5 0 at Ibrox. Get, this, get this kind of rubbish out of our there's league. So, there's something I could say about 2012, but you know, I think we'd get ourselves into a lot of trouble there. But uh, you cannot <laughs> argue, if you know what I mean, you cannot argue with the way Rangers are playing, the way they're uh, banging in the goals. You know, two home games, 10 scored, none conceded. They're on fire at the moment and they certainly appear to be uh, laying down a challenge to, to Celtic um, and, and a good one at that. Can they sustain it? The only time will tell. Um, Lewis and I both went for 4-0 Rangers, but it was, of course, uh, 5-0. But, uh, you know, well, well, done, well done to them. In fairness, I didn't expect Conor Goldson to ever get a header on target. So I almost basically had my predictions right. But yeah, they have two just class strikers, don't they? You've got Jermaine Defoe and the Fred Morales even Celtic can't claim to have that as much as Lee Griffiths is a good striker he's not going to score at the rate that Rangers second striker and Defoe is going to because Defoe despite being a lot older than him has just incredible fitness uh, and that that's a scary fit. The, the amount of depth that Rangers have as those two strikers all they need is two genuinely I would always say as a rule I would like three but they only need those two um, because Morales apparently just doesn't want to get sent off anymore which is been no, quite helpful. I think, I think hasn't played Aberdeen at Pataudry yet, though. So we'll see ha, about hasn't, that. Hasn't, oh yes, yeah, that'll be a different. Hasn't, hasn't of played fish. Aberdeen at Pataudry. Hasn't played in the old farm game at Celtic Park. Hasn't played in a big game really. Because Aberdeen. Mm. Let's let's be real here. Us going down to Ibrox last week. There was no, there was no fire about that game. No, no. He hasn't been involved in. That's because Scott McKenna wasn't playing. <laughs> well, he ha- he hasn't been involved mm. in a in a in a big fiery game yet. Wasn't I think we had this conversation? We felt he wasn't risked in the old firm game because his manager doesn't trust him. And I think I still think watching Morelos against some other teams this season, he that fire has gone out of his game a bit. But I think it takes it away. I think it takes that he needs to learn to control it, not get rid of it. Yeah, he needs to. He needs to be clever. To be a common a middle ground. To be a to be a top class player, he needs to learn how to annoy the centre halves without going over the line. But then he also and he's not has, he's not got that. Yeah, he's, he taken, all, he's taken that aggression out of his game, and I think it's taken something away from him. But he did score in midweek against Young Boys away from home in Switzerland in Europa League. So I still think there is that quality there. I, I would agree there's still a middle ground to be found there. But even at this ground where he's not getting sent off, 
he's still scoring goals. But he, even if he doesn't score goals, when you've got Jermaine Defoe going to score you a hat-trick, what does it matter? And then there's so much depth in the midfield as well. Um, the only thing I could think for Rangers that maybe you look at it and you go, where's the hole going to appear is maybe somewhere defensively. You know, I'm not too sure about their cover for Barisic at left-back and I'm still not convinced about him defensively. Tavernier defensively, as shown against young boys, okay. can make mistakes. I mean, the big thing is it's going to come down to these old firm games this season, most likely. Yeah, OK, Celtic have went and lost Livingston, which puts Rangers top, but Rangers will have a slip-up somewhere, somehow. So it's going to come down to the old firm. And at the moment, Celtic are still ruling that, but Rangers just seem to be creeping up and if they continue this momentum it just seems Rangers take a lot from momentum and sometimes when Celtic are down Celtic really do seem down they do have a couple of players in there that for me just don't react very well to criticism Yeah Rangers certainly I would agree with that Rangers certainly look to be the real deal can can they keep it up only time will tell but you know I've, I've been I've been have to say I've been very impressed with some of the football that Rangers have played this season yeah, no, I think I'd let, I think you're right, Dave. I think I have as well. The one concern that would come back to me if I was a Rangers supporter, um, and I, I'm not, I was raised better than that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble on this show. Uh, no comment. But is Rangers and Defoe especially is the king of scoring needless goals? I would love to. I would love to go through it, and I don't have the time and inclination, but to go through Jermaine Defoe's Rangers goals and. Count how many of them actually mattered. Count how many actually made a difference. And I think this is what Rangers are lacking. It's goal scorers in big games. Morelos and Defoe are both kings at running up two and three goals in four and five nil wins. Very rarely do we see Rangers win a game, a big game, with a Morelos goal. That one Morelos goal. Yeah. The the they both, and I think that's where they might fall down in the title race this season, is that they need to step up. And I think it was something like in five in five years, a Ranger striker hasn't scored an old farm goal. A Ranger striker hasn't scored an old farm goal in five years. Wow. Definitely on to our point there, because when you think back about goals in the old firm for Rangers in the last few years, I'm looking at Ryan Jack, Clint Hill, so you can't rely on them to score all the time. You, you need your strike to perform. You, you need, the Ryan Jack goal was basically a Scott Brown own in, goal. In the, yeah, they, they, just, they didn't write Scott Brown own goal because it was Scott Brown. But no, let's wrap this one up. Um, this has been the Red Review. Lewis, thank you for joining us this week, no second problem. time this series. We'll be back again soon. I've been Alan Davidson. This has been the Red Review. North Zone 1. Red Review.